Good morning, church. Good to see everybody. Wow, 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 wow. So good to be here. Can you say thank you, worship team? Amazing. Uh, I understand that uh, I was here for a few years, but the vast majority of you have never even heard of me. So good morning. My name's Andrew Zanako, and uh, me and my wife are here from the beautiful promised land of Indianapolis, Indiana. Uh, I know that down here you don't know that there's actually a universe north of the Mason-Dixon line, but it's a great, great place up there. So uh, I want you to pull out your Bible, something to take notes with. Are you a note-taking church here in College Station? You used to be. I hope you still are. If, you, uh, if your neighbor doesn't take notes out, give them the church judgy elbow, hardcore, right in the kidneys. The truth is I'm helping you out because either God's going to say something that you want to write down and remember, or you're going to be really bored and you're going to have something to doodle with. So either way, you're welcome for making you get your notes out. Open up your Bibles. Y'all got Bibles here in this church? Good. Open up to Hebrews chapter 10. We're for sure going to be there, and we might hit some other places as we go. Uh, I want to show you a picture of my family as you're turning there. Oh, there's a sweet little baby in the aisle. I love that. Uh, this is my fam right here. Uh, so my wife's obviously here. So that's, uh, that's me, the dad. And then in the middle there, that's Rose Jubilee. She was born here in uh, Bryan College Station. That's my wife, Heather, and uh, my boy, Smith. Smith Moses. And uh, they are such a blast. And they are with the grandparents in Abilene this week. So... Uh, they're, they're happy to be with their grandparents because they get to watch all shows all day and eat whatever they want. Praise the Lord. And then we got to deal with it on the back end. You know what I'm saying? Any parents in the room? You know what I'm saying? Okay. All right. Amen. 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 So good to be here. It's fun to be back in this room. It looks a little different than uh, when I left. It's a little bigger. Everything around here is a little bit better. And uh, raise your hand if you're new here in the last four years. Amazing. Wow. Everybody, keep your hands up. Keep your hands up. Look around. Everybody look around. So if you feel new, welcome to the club. You're not the only one. It's not one of those things. It's like, man, everybody's got it figured out around here. Everybody knows what they're doing. No, no, no. Welcome. Welcome. We're glad you're here. Will Hayes, ladies and gentlemen. Good to see you, bro. Wow. So many friends in the room and so many people I've never seen. Okay, we're going to get there. Um, that clock says I have a lot more time than you told me I said I had. So we'll see. Here we go. Uh, Hebrews chapter 10. If you're there, say I'm there. You there, Sam? There, awesome. Uh, up in Indy, we believe church is a participation sport. So, I hope you came ready to play. I'm not just up here, monkey, trying to entertain you, right? We're here to encounter God together. I don't know if you know this. We're about to read the Bible. God's gonna speak to you. Do you like who you're sitting next to? Hebrews chapter 10, verse 35. If you don't, this is your last chance to get up and move without anybody judging you. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 10, verse 35. One more time, if you're in verse 35, let me know if you're there. I love it. Therefore, do not, oh man, it's going to be one of those messages. One of those legalistic, talking about what the Bible telling me not to do. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence which has a great reward for you, touch your neighbor and tell them you, for you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while and the coming one will come 
He will not delay, but my righteous one shall live by faith. My righteous one shall live by? My righteous one shall live by? And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. Oh, that sounds scary. But don't stop reading verse 39. But, but we in this room, we at Antioch College Station, we in my row, we in my home, we in my life group, we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed. But we at Antioch College Station, we in my row, we in my home, we in my family, we are of those who have and have and preserve their souls. 11.1. Did you know you can read past the chapter headings? This is actually one complete thought. I'm thankful for the chapter headings. Amen. But they, you can, you're allowed to read past them. So we're going to do that. We're just going to be crazy. Some of you thought worship was weird with people raising their hands. No, no, no. You don't even know. We read past the chapter headings. <laughs> but we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. I got a message for you this morning. I'm encouraged. I'm excited. My aim is just to be loud. So even if I don't preach good, at least I keep your attention. I want you to write at the top of your notes my title for this morning's message that I'm bringing to you from Indianapolis, Indiana this morning, Antioch College Station. The Lord has a word to speak to you, and the title this morning is Unicorns. Unicorns. Somebody give me a shout if you actually think pugs are cute. All right, you're wrong. The book of Hebrews. We're in the book of Hebrews. Anybody notice that? I'm going to give you a little bit of background on the book of Hebrews. We're going to do a little bit of an education. I'm not the smartest man in the world. I don't know the most about the Bible, but I know a little bit. And I know that I've learned along the way that sometimes the more I learn about the context of something I'm reading, the better it is that I get something out of it, the more I hear God in it. And so we're going to do a little bit of a Bible teaching. Can we do that in church? I want to tell you a little bit about the book of Hebrews. The first thing I want to tell you is that nobody really knows who the author is. So, so far, I'm off to a good start educating you. Nobody's totally sure. Everybody's got ideas. A lot of people think it was Paul. Some people think different things, but that's not really the most important thing in the world. Most people don't know the author, but we do know, uh, we, do, we don't know exactly who the audience was specifically, but we know something about the audience. Can I tell you something about who the book of Hebrews was written to? Because I think it's going to help you see you in the Bible. Do you know you're in the Bible? Some of you do. Do you know you're in the Bible? The book of Hebrews was written to a community somewhere of Jewish background Christians. So they had grown up in the Jewish tradition. Jesus came. He lived his life, died, raised again, was ascended. The Holy Spirit comes. And now these Jewish background people are jumping in and believing that Jesus was the fulfillment of everything that they had grown up around, everything they had been waiting for. So they grew up in the Jewish tradition. And you can tell by the context of Hebrews that not only were they Jewish background, but they were smart Jews. They knew their Old Testament. They knew their history. They knew where they were coming from. They, 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 they paid attention in school. Did anybody pay attention in school? Not so much me. So we know that there's this Jewish 
Christians who knew a lot of the Old Testament. And the reason that we know that is because by the time we get to Hebrews chapter 10, you're smart people and you figured out there's actually like Hebrews chapters 1 through 9 before chapter 10. And the author, whoever wrote to this audience, basically spends the whole first, what we have as the nine chapters, the first nine chapters of Hebrews giving a whole bunch of background. And he taps in at kind of chunks at a time into themes from the Jewish background that they grew up in. And he's connecting Jesus to every intricate part of the Jewish narrative. And so I'm going to give you a little bit of a hurry up. We're going chapters one through nine here in about just a second. Can we do that? So I want to give you background because it's going to help you, I promise. So, so, so the first thing that happens is the author in chapters 1 and 2 of the book of Hebrews, he's drawing a comparison and he's correlating Jesus to uh, angels and the Torah. There's a lot of talk of angels and the Torah. And so we've got a little bit of a concept of angels, sort of, but not really. It's not a huge part of our culture and background. But in the Jewish tradition, this was a huge deal. The Torah was the word of God. Delivered, and the, the tradition held that most of it was delivered like to Moses by angels. So, to bring a correlation, and, and he's making the whole point in Hebrews chapters 1 and 2. You have, in the Jewish tradition, we have, we have angels and we have Torah, the word given by angels, but he begins elevating Jesus above the angels. He says he's higher than all the angels. He's higher than the Torah. And what the point that he's making is that this man, Jesus, didn't just speak the words of God. He was the word of God. We have received the word of God from angels in the past, but somebody greater than the angels has come, and he is the superior word of God. Like John said, in the beginning was the word. He is the word. Jesus is the word in chapters 1 and 2 of Hebrews. In chapters 3 and 4, he brings a, a, a lot of dipping into their history of, of Moses and the promised land. So if you maybe don't, if you're newer to the Bible, a, a lot of the Old Testament, basically the main narrative of the Old Testament is this story about a man named Moses and the people of Israel in the promised land. So God decides that he's going to raise up a people. He calls Israel and says, these are going to be my people. And the reason he's doing it is not so that he can be exclusive, but so that he can be inclusive. But to be inclusive, he had to raise somebody up to bless them so everybody else could see what the blessing looked like and say, I want that. Come on, somebody, you tracking with me? If everybody gets all the same thing, no matter what they're doing, there's nothing to differentiate it. So God raises up the people and says, you follow me, you come under my blessing, you do these things I'm telling you to do, because when you do, I'm going to show the world what it looks like to be under the blessing of God. And when they see it, they're not all going to look at God and be like, ugh, God makes me jump through all these legalistic hoops. They're going to look and they're going to see, my goodness, it looks good to live under the blessing of God. I want in. So God's saying, I'm going to raise up one nation and bring all nations to myself. The problem with the people of God is that it was made up of a bunch of people. You ever met people? Every big problem in your life comes back to people. Not the person you're sitting next to. I know that, but somebody else. So they got hard, hard heads and stiff necks, and they turn from God, and there's this whole cycle that they find themselves going through. I know you would never do this, and you're not in that part of the Bible, but, but I mean, you could imagine this, though, somebody, how somebody might do this. Not you, but somebody yeah. might experience the grace of God and come close to him and then have this thought, well, I must be a kind of a big deal. I can do whatever I want. And then they kind of turn from the ways of God, and then God starts to discipline him and discipline these people uh, because he's trying to tell them, no, no, life isn't found outside of me. He's found in me. 
And so they repent, and then they come back to him because God just gives more grace. And then after they get more grace, they think they're just probably even more better than even the first time, and so they turn away again. And again, I know you would never, but maybe you know a guy. So they've been doing this whole thing. They find themselves in slavery, and God raises up a man named Moses. And he's the deliverer of these people, and he goes into the land of Egypt, and he, you know, Pharaoh, let my people go, in plagues, and all of this kind of stuff. So in Hebrews chapters 3 and 4, the author is hitting back on this story, which was something they would have known well, because this is the main narrative of the whole Old Testament. This, God is raising up a people. People turn their back on him, but God sends a deliverer to set them free. That's what the Old Testament is all about. And that's what the New Testament is all about. And that's the point in Hebrews chapters 3 and 4 is that this man Jesus is better than Moses. <laughs> it, the, <laughs> the whole point was that you can't be who God's calling you to be on your own, so God's going to deliver you and make you a new creation. That's what the hope was in, and that's what the he, book of Hebrews chapters 3 and 4 connects the dots and says, Jesus is your hope for new creation. He is the way to be born again. He is the way to be made completely new. God doesn't need to raise up a new deliverer because God himself came as our deliverer. He has welcomed us into the promised land that is relationship with God. He's not promising just lands and all of these sort of things, but he himself is the promised land. The life that you live by faith is the promised land. Chapters 5 through 7, he talks about priests, something they would have been very familiar with. The temple was a huge piece of the Jewish culture because that's where God was. And these are the people of God. And so we go to the temple. But not everybody could go close into God. They had to have a system of priests, a caste of priests. And even within the priests, there was hierarchy to the point that there was one high priest who could come into the holiest place one time a year if he did everything just right on behalf of the people. He was a mediator. He was a mediator between God and his people. And in Hebrews chapters 5 through 7, the author makes the point that we don't need the priests anymore. Jesus is our high priest. Jesus is our high priest. And he goes on and on and on talking about we no longer need a mediator between God and man. Jesus has made a way. He says Jesus is a forerunner behind the curtain. The thing about forerunners is people follow them, right? Come on, somebody. And why isn't it just going behind the curtain for me? He was going behind the curtain for me so I can go behind the curtain too. He says there's a new high priest and his name is Jesus. This priest, he talks in the chapters 5 through 7. We have these priests, but you all know these priests. And you know they're just as messed up as you are, but not this high priest. He is flawless. He is eternal. He is faultless. And in chapters 8 through 10, he continues on this thought process of the priests and continues on talking about the sacrifices, the sacrificial system they had of animal sacrifices that was the mark of the old covenant. And he talks about how there was these priests, and we talked about those, but the priests would offer these sacrifices. In Hebrews, the beginning of Hebrews chapter 10, some of my favorite verses. I'm just going to go ahead and read some of it. I didn't even give you these, but it's all good. Chapter, uh, verse 11 in chapter 10, every priest stands daily at his surface, service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins but when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins he sat down at the right hand of God waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet for by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified 
Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. You don't need sacrifices anymore. There's a new covenant. Jesus is the sacrifice, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world so we can be in relationship with God Himself. Hebrews chapters 1 through 10. He writes to this community, reminding them, explaining to them, this is who this Jesus is, so follow him. Follow him. Remain faithful to Jesus, trusting that no matter what hardship or persecution comes, he will never abandon his people. This is the great narrative of God fulfilled in the man Jesus Christ. No matter what you see or don't see, no matter what you know or don't know, no matter what you've experienced or not experienced in the man Jesus, we understand that God will never abandon his people. So follow him. And this brings us to our verses, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 35, therefore. That's what he means when he says therefore. See, we all jumped in and we're like, oh, cool. Let's get to the faith part. Woo! You know? But that's a pregnant therefore. It's a 10 chapter therefore. It's a history of a nation therefore. It's the narrative of all humanity therefore. Do not throw away your confidence which has a great reward for you of need of endurance so that when you've done the will of God, you will receive the reward that is promised. He's saying this is awesome. And he's recognizing that this is hard. You only need confidence when you get shaken. You only need endurance when you're tired. You only want to give up when you're hopeless. So why would he say be confident if they didn't need it? They must have needed some endurance. They must have needed some hope. So he reminds them, this is who Jesus is. This is who Jesus is. Therefore, do not, because of who Jesus is, therefore, do not, because of how faithful God has proven to be, therefore, do not throw away your confidence. This is where we get to the unicorns. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. The community that Paul, or whoever the author was, sorry, was writing to, was going through some stuff. Sometimes it's easy to read the Bible and be like, oh yeah, there's like some people that somebody wrote this book to, and now we have it as God, and it's all true. And it was written, it's written for you, and it was written real time. And so this is written to a community telling them not to give up because people were giving up. People were getting killed. Friends were deserting friends. Family was deserting family. They're facing persecution. And they want to give up. They want to throw it away. They don't want to have endurance. They want it just to stop. Can we be honest and say I've ever, you've ever been there? <laughs> Oh, endurance, cool. How about it just gets easy? <laughs> so here in this room this morning, we aren't facing the same persecution that they were. I would go out on a limb and assume that none of you have had a friend killed for the gospel in the last year or a family member try to turn you over to the police in the last year. Or so, But I don't say that to say, 
oh, man, these people are the hardcore people. We don't even know what we're talking about. That's not my point. My, my point is that we may not be facing persecution the way that they were facing persecution, but we are facing things that are trying to steal our confidence. They're trying to take away our reward. They're trying to make you shrink back and be destroyed by the things that are trying to intimidate your faith. It's not necessarily death and abandonment. Sometimes people do walk away. And I do know that even this house has, rep, has experienced so many hard things. I was here when we experienced a lot of hard things. But following God is awesome. And following God is hard. And we're facing things like apathy. You're facing things when it comes to faith. You're facing big monster to your faith called options. Comfort. A lack of urgency, routine. We're supposed to walk by faith, assurance of what we hope for, convicted of what we do not even see, all while we are living lives where we are invited all day, every day to put our hope into so many other things, things we can see, things that we don't have to hope for because we can control them. We can touch them. We can manipulate them. We can provide for them. We can, I don't need to spend all my energy and all my endurance on all these things I can't see when I have all these options of things I can see. I want us to be honest in church this morning. I want us to get fired up and I want us to be honest just like Hebrews. I want to get wound up by the goodness of God and I want to be honest about some of the things and what I want to be honest about this morning, and I want to ask you this question, if we can just be real and say that sometimes having faith feels like believing in unicorns. Sometimes it feels like believing in unicorns. And, and that's even something that if you get into some apologetic conversations, some people will be like, oh, you believe in God? Why don't you might as well believe in unicorns and the spaghetti monster? It's all the same thing. And that's pretty ignorant because it makes no sense. But whatever, people say it. And honestly, you know, the evidence for Jesus is pretty astounding and all that kind of thing. But this is not this morning an apologetics lesson. Because I'm going to be honest with you, your faith doesn't need apologetics. And the reason I know your faith doesn't need apologetics, I love apologetics. I love it. But, but your faith's not going to be built on that. Because the people of Hebrews, they weren't struggling wondering if Jesus was real. <laughs> There's people in this community who like walked with Jesus. New people who walked with Jesus, saw him raised from the dead, heard his teaching. Saw, like, they didn't need an apologetics lesson. Like, I know you want to give up on faith, but trust me, Jesus really did live. Jesus really was who he said he was. It wasn't that they didn't know who Jesus was. It wasn't that they couldn't believe if he was real. The challenge that they weren't facing was, do I believe in Jesus? Do I know that he lived? Do I know that he existed? Do I even know some of the words that he said? The challenge was, am I going to hold on? To Jesus. Do not throw away your confidence, for you have need of endurance. We are not of those who shrink back. And today, this is our challenge as well that no matter how much we can factually know about Jesus, I want to tell you something this morning about walking with Jesus. As you walk with Jesus, you will never graduate from the fact that faith always takes faith. 
I'm telling you, I need this word. I really, okay, you know, I've prayed all these prayers. God, make me a man of faith. I want to be a man of faith. I want to see all this stuff. I want to touch the glory of God. You know, we're praying. I remember being in my basement, starting this church, believing God for all these things going on, seeing nothing happening two years in, and we're still at 75 people building a building for 400. Don't even know why, but God said it. Lord, I want to be a man of faith. I want to be. He said, no, you don't. You want to be a man of fact. I was like, dang, you're right. (laughs) And that's true. We want facts. We don't want faith. I want to have faith so I see God move so that I can see it. (laughs) I want to see it. And I'm not saying facts are bad. I want it to be facts. The glory of God, the King, all of these sort of things. But we are not just called the facts. We are called to faith. And although living by faith does absolutely lead you into seeing more of God, tasting more of God, touching more of God, experiencing more of God. By definition, faith is the assurance of things that you're hoping for. The assurance of things you are having to be convinced of. And my my encouragement to us as a people who talk about faith, as a house of faith, you have seen God do so much. Don't rest on the last thing that your faith let you see. You're called for more. In Genesis chapter 1, you don't have to go there, team. It's all good. Genesis chapter 1, I've just been praying for you guys. And Genesis 1, 1 through 3, it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So there's nothing. You know, before you was God. After you is God. He's on the move. He's been on the move. He's going to stay on the move. In the beginning, way back in the beginning, God created. He created the heavens and the earth. And I see verse 2. So there's nothing. Then there's heaven and earth. And then verse 2 says, and the earth was formless and without void. So there was nothing. Then there was sort of something, but it was still empty. But the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Genesis 1 verse 2 says, and then verse 3 starts, and then God said, and he speaks. He speaks. See, what I'm trying to say is some of you have had faith for a heaven and earth type of thing, and you've seen it formed, but now you've got to have faith to fill it. And I want to talk specifically to this house, even on the back of this own it thing. This is where you are right now. You are in Genesis 1 verse 2. Press on to verse 3. Press on to verse 3. You've heard a vision. You've had something cast out. God has spoken to the leadership of this church. There's been kind of nothing. It's been ambiguous. Where are we going? There's been a journey over the last few years, but now there is a stake that has been put in the ground. There has been a heaven and earth, a reality, a framework, a house, a structure that has been formed, but it's still kind of void. You've committed to things. You've committed to being a part of this house in your heart, with your finances, with your energy, with your effort, in your spheres of influence. You've committed. Now do it. There's a big difference. You've committed. Heaven and earth are there. But it's void until you fill it. You've got to press on and not give up. You've got to not throw away your confidence. There is a great reward. If you will do the will of God, you will receive the reward. That is promised. Do not 
Be of those who commit and shrink back. Do not be of those who commit and then it gets hard and it wasn't what you expected and it cost more than you thought and on Vision Sunday you were so fired up and you committed so much because you were ready for faith and God was going to provide and now it's going to cost a little more than you thought it was going to cost or at least it sure doesn't feel like you thought it was going to feel like because over the next couple of years there's going to be new priorities in your life. There's going to be new relationships in your life. There's going to be new needs in your life. There's going to be new time constraints in your life but before those come God is asking for your commitment and then asking you to live it out by faith. By faith. God's speaking in this house. He is speaking in this house. And when he speaks, he creates. He's creating new things. Don't expect it to look like things you've looked like you've looked in the past. Don't hold on to what it's always been like around here. Some of you've been around here for a while. Things are about to change. Things are about to change. But don't get lost in the good old days. Be looking forward to the good days. The good days, the best are yet to come. Some of you have been in church, been in churches that have done things like this and cast big visions, and, and it didn't go the way you thought it was going to go. Don't hold on to that stuff. Hold on to faith. It's going to look different. The earth looked different after God spoke than before he spoke. It's going to look like something you haven't seen before. There might be similarities, but it's still going to look different. He's going to speak things along the way and bring light to places that used to be dark. He's going, to he's going to fill some places with some fresh life that didn't have life before. They're going to do the oceans, but then we got to fill it with the fish. And some of you really like the ocean, but then the fish start coming, and it's like, this was my ocean. This was my seat. This was my parking spot. This was my life group. This was my lane. And now God's filling it. Will you hold on with faith? Will you hold on with faith? I want to encourage you this morning. Encourage you in who Jesus is. Encourage you to not throw away your faith. Sometimes believing in a word that God has spoken feels like believing in unicorns. And if you're like me, there's actually a lot in this book that you read that you want to believe but you haven't seen before. And it feels like believing in unicorns sometimes. Can we be honest in church? Can I tell you this morning, there's things that I'm pressing in for. There's things I'm praying for. There's things I'm believing for. There's things I'm stating as fact and truth in the word of God that I haven't seen yet. But I want to be a man of faith. There's things I'm believing for I've never seen. Prayers I've prayed that haven't been answered the way I thought they were going to be answered when they were supposed to be answered. There's a lot of times, sometimes, there's times I read this book and I don't even know if I really believe what it actually says. But I hold on. We got a choice to make. I'm not going to throw away my confidence in the word of God just because I haven't experienced all that he has said yet. He speaks more than you've experienced. And that's the point. See, we got to decide what are we going to do when what God says feels like believing in unicorns. It's not unicorns. That's why it's different, because it's not. God's real. He's alive. He's moving. He's doing more than you could ever ask or imagine. He is faithful, but what about when it doesn't feel that way? What about when it doesn't look that way? What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Are you going to be shaped by what God says? Are you going to shape God by what you've experienced? 
when we're believing in Jesus. Believe in what he said. Sometimes it feels like believing in unicorns. And sometimes when we're following Jesus, if we're doing it right, if we're doing it right, it should feel like you are a unicorn. The truth is that if you follow Jesus, you shouldn't really fit in that much with the world around you. You shouldn't look like everybody else. You shouldn't act like everybody else. See, we live in a world where horses have no horns, cows have two horns, so a horse with one horn just doesn't fit. It doesn't fit because it's just different. <laughs> it doesn't fit in our, in our frame of mind. It's different because it is. It's different because it is. And I want to tell you this morning, Jesus people, you are different. You are different. You are different because you are. So stop trying to not be different. If you're trying to not be different, stop it. Stop it. You can't not be different anyway. Like, I'm helping you. I'm not mad at you. I'm helping you. Like, you can't not be different. So just stop trying. It's a failing effort. You've been born again. When you gave your life to Jesus, you were born again. You have died to yourself, been crucified with Christ, and no longer live. But now the life you live by Faith, you live in the, in the Son of God who gave his life for you. You have committed to a life of faith. You have committed to a life in response to the word of the living God. Your job is to not be so relevant that no one even knows that you're different. Your job is not to be so normal that nobody even knows that you've got the spirit of the living God inside of you. People should know you aren't who you used to be. People should know you've got power that they don't have. People should know things changed when you got born again and the, new, the old passed away and the new came. Your life should make the world around you uncomfortable. And I'm not saying this because we're trying to make people uncomfortable. That's not the point. My point is not like, go try to make people uncomfortable. You shouldn't have to try. Unicorns don't have to try to be different. They just are. They just are because they don't exactly fit. They sort of do. We know horses. We know horns, but not like that. Your life should make people uncomfortable, but not because you're trying to, but just because you're different. And when things are different, it makes people uncomfortable. But that's not your fault. And that's not really your thing to straighten out. The goal isn't to make statements or be weird for being weird. There's just no getting around the fact that the old passed away and the new has come. And so it's different. It's different. I'm going to wrap up here. I don't know. If the, am I supposed to call the band up? Yeah, come on up. But just bear with me for a second. Matthew chapter 4. Jesus calls his disciples. They're walking by the sea. Come, follow me. They drop their nets. They drop their boats. They follow him. And we skim right past that part and we try to get to all the good parts. We try to get to all the crazy stories. And we, we think, I don't know about you, but when I read the Gospels, I have this underlying assumption that they had some sort of understanding of what the heck was going on. But if you actually read the stories, they have no idea what Jesus is doing. They are completely lost. They walked with him. They talked with him. They saw him die. They saw him raised from the dead. And in Acts chapter 1, they're all in a room looking at each other with no clue what to do next. No clue. 
Jesus is walking around doing stuff that nobody's okay with somebody doing. He's saying stuff nobody's okay with people saying. He's making claims that people don't know if they believe. And as you read the Gospels, it is clear that the disciples were just as lost as everybody else, but they decided to follow instead. There's so many stories of rumors happening over here. You know, guys are asking the disciples. They don't go to Jesus. They go to the disciples and say, hey, why does he do that? Why doesn't he do that? And I don't know, I could be missing something, but I didn't find the story where the disciples actually give an answer. I'm serious. It's like Jesus is always like discerning their thoughts from afar. Jesus said, because he's like, they have no clue. And they're like, why doesn't he wash your hands like, why why doesn't he wash his hands like everybody else? And they're like, oh, I have no idea what we're doing. It's like, aren't you his disciples? I think so. Eat my flesh, drink my blood. And Jesus turns to them and says, y'all going to run away too? And they're like, ah, kind of want to, but no. Like, we're in. We're in for this. See, they were just willing to sign up and follow him. They had no answers. They had no interpretation of his teachings. They had no insight as to where he was going. But they decided to allow themselves to become unicorns by association. And then... Acts chapter 1, they're in a room wondering what to do. And then Acts chapter 2. They get filled with the Holy Spirit and they become the unicorn that they had followed. Acts chapter 4, 13, they're arrested for doing the same things Jesus had been doing. Now they're saying the same things Jesus had been saying. And the, and the judges look at them and they say, we don't know what to do with you guys. You guys are dumb. You have no education. All we can see is that you've been with Jesus. You now look like the unicorn you've been following. We're different. Why don't you go ahead and stand up? We're going to have our ministry team come on up, prayer team. For people, we, we, we're, we're a church that believes that it's great to hear the word of God, but it's better to receive it and respond to it. God's been burning in some of you this morning. You need to have a Hebrews 10 moment. Some of you even know, I just need God. And I just want you to come up to the front now as I'm talking. These are people who can pray for you. They're not perfect. They're just willing to pray. Okay, trust me. I know some of them. They're not perfect. We're just weird enough to believe that if you're in church, you should be able to get prayer. So that's all. Don't leave without getting what you need. You might be here this morning and you feel like you might as well be believing in unicorns because something God has spoken to you. You're carrying something. You're believing in something that nobody else can see, nobody else can touch, and you can't either. But you need to hear this morning, do not let go. Some of you feel like you are a unicorn because of the way God's leading you in your, in your classroom, the way God's leading you in your neighborhood, the way God's leading you in your friend group. And I want you to know this morning, do not let go. Do not throw away your confidence. Play the long game. Play the long game. Like, I'm talking about not your lifetime. I'm talking about Genesis 1 to the end of Revelation. In the beginning, all the way to the end. Alpha and Omega. You see what I'm saying? Let's play the long game. Faith is a long game. Faith is a long game. So if you need prayer for anything, you need encouragement, you need prayer, the Bible says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. It's not an emotion. There's just a response to say, God, I'm going to receive this word. Would you put faith inside of my heart? 
And if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, you've never experienced, you would walk out of this room and not be sure that you've been born again. You don't know if this story is your story of complete transformation, not by your effort, not by your works, but by faith in the grace of God. If that's you this morning, do not walk out of this room without giving your life to Jesus so that you can start this life of faith. Talk with the person who came with you. Come up and have somebody pray with you. But let's not be a people who stand still and do nothing. This is a Genesis 1 moment. It's pregnant with possibilities. It's pregnant with creation. Even if you're just, today's, today's the day I'm taking my hands out of my pockets instead of just standing here responding. I don't know what your thing is. Do something. Make space for God to fill. Jesus, we love you and we welcome you in Jesus' name. Come in the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm asking right now that every single person would move right now. Open up our hearts, open up our hands and our minds, God. I pray that people who don't know you right now would surrender their life to you in the name of Jesus. Lord, we're praying that you'd speak words of faith as we worship. Amen.